<laughs> I just love that guy's humor. Oh, so much fun. That tells you everything you need to know about me, probably. Chris Farley was a great comedian. Hi, I'm Dee Hicks, and welcome to the School of Leadership, leveraged lessons from high-impact leaders. For the past 30 years, I've researched the disciplines, habits, mental models, and assumptions of most effective leaders. This podcast takes what I've learned from over 2,000 of these influencers and distills it into practical tools and tips you can use immediately. So let's get started. Okay, I'm doing a V-cut. Nice V-cut on this cigar. And gonna toast the foot here. Nice, nice torch of a cigar lighter. This is a nice one. I don't even know where this came from. I opened up the wooden box. It's an old cigar box that, that we keep our lighters and matches in. It says Rockwell on the side of it. A little handheld torch. Nice, it's got four flames coming out of this nice toast in the foot just a little bit get this started what's the cigar we've got today this one is from cigars international it's called the legends blend and the one i have in my hand about ready to enjoy is called a drew estates this is a delightful complex Infused cigars from the Drew Estates folks. It's uh, it's an Ecuadorian Connecticut wrapper. So, you know, um, Connecticut wrappers are that kind of a light brown instead of the typical dark brown Maduro that I enjoy most of the time. This one is uh, 54, 55 ring gauge, about the size of a thumb in thickness, probably. And about six inches long, I'm guessing. It's about six inches long. It's got this nice wrapper, a nice sweet taste. Mm. Mm-hmm copious amounts of smoke filling up the sound studio today and it's got nicaraguan long fillers a little bit of uh, dominican in there as well so these tobaccos are put together so that they actually soak up some of the infused flavors and spices it's got uh, supposedly an amaretto and hazelnut uh, infused oils in these tobaccos after it has a nice sweet start this thing will just fill up the sound booth and then it has a kind of a coffee flavor to it to me very subtle though and uh, i've had many of these and as we get to the middle of the cigar it'll start to pick up a little more spice a little pepper it ends up being one of the more enjoyable cigars i picked this one because i'm actually having coffee to drink today what a surprise uh, it's a dark dark colombian coffee goes really well with this legends drew estate cigar good stuff thanks for joining me today in part five of this six part series called that's gonna leave a mark <laughs> uh, your relationship with pain whenever i say that i think of the uh, comedian chris farley in the movie tommy boy <laughs> I just love that guy's humor. Oh, so much fun. That tells you everything you need to know about me, probably. Chris Farley was a great comedian. And so here we are, part five in the six-part series. That's going to leave a mark. Your relationship with pain. And this one is all about other people's pain. 
I thought it was kind of important for us to identify the reality that you and I experience all sorts of pain in our lives and that we're surrounded by people. We work with them. We may live with them. We encounter them in the Bean Isle and Safeway who also have a relationship with pain, whether they know it or not. So let's talk about that today. When we're in pain, it's easy for us to forget that folks around us have been in pain too, or maybe they're in pain right now. Because all of us have a relationship with pain. Look around, everyone has got some sort of relationship with pain. Probably no one has ever really thought about it like a relationship, like we're talking about it here and how we have framed it in these conversations. But everyone has got a relationship with pain. And if you were here with me, like I always say, I wish you were, I'd sit down with you and today I'd be pouring you a cup of this wonderful coffee and offer you a cigar. I have another one in the humidor right over there, another one of these Legends Drew Estates cigars. I'd light one up for you, or we'd sit back and put our feet up and talk about the fun things of life, and eventually we'd start talking about your relationship with pain. And if I'm in a great deal of pain myself, it's very easy for me to forget that sitting right there across from me in that leather cigar chair, sipping away on coffee with me is someone who may be in pain right now. You may not be able to even put it into words. Now, we're not always in pain, hopefully, unless we're suffering from chronic physical pain. And I'm not suggesting that we walk around aware of our pain 24-7 and having it completely shape and define us apart from folks who have gone through or are going through some really rough rafting right now in their lives or are experiencing chronic physical pain, but we have pain that comes and goes. So let's just assume that. And so there you sit, and there I sit, and we're visiting away about life. And of course, behind your eyes, as I look at you, I know you too have a relationship with pain. Our pain is either physical in its origin, or it's non-physical in its origin. But eventually, even non-physical pain becomes physical. You know how that is when we have a pain that comes from a loss or a setback or a discouragement of some sort. We start to feel it in our body after a while. We also know that if we have a physical pain, something neurological that's going on or or an injury of some sort, after a little bit of time, it starts to affect us psychologically. It affects our mood. It affects the way our brain works. So we're so interwoven, of course, that really when I speak of pain, I'm talking about the origin of the pain. How did it start? And not where it necessarily just ended up when I identify it as either a physical or a non-physical pain. So just look around and look beyond the surface of our society. Look beyond the surface of big, vast swaths of our economy. So much of it is related to us trying to contend with or cope with pain. And so we've talked quite a bit about the two different tracks that you and I can go down when we cope with our pain. One of those tracks, as we mentioned last time, as well as the time before in these podcasts, is what we call an adaptive coping track. That is that when we do something to adapt, to contend with, to deal with the pain, we do things that make us better in the long run. And then there is the maladaptive coping mechanism where we pretend to adapt to the pain or the potential pain, which we'll call a threat of pain, through what we call maladaptive coping. That is something we do that makes us feel the pain less or be less aware of the pain now, but eventually ends up making the pain worse and spawning off like a bad sequel (laughs) other types of pain in our life just because we tried to feel better now instead of actually dealing with the pain itself directly. 
So everyone has a relationship with pain, and we either adapt to that pain or we pretend to adapt to that pain. And we know because of our own experience of pain, perhaps even today you've experienced this, pain makes us myopic in our view. It makes us self-focused. All we can think about is ourself in the typical response to pain, in a common and understandable response to pain. We just think about ourselves. So if you are in pain right now, physical or non-physical in its origin, and physical and non-physical in its manifestation as it's moved on, it's easy to look around and think, nobody else is in pain right now, just I am. It's all about me. I get that. I completely understand it. It is consuming in its intensity when you're in the midst of that in, of that difficult time. So right out of the gate in today's conversation, let's remember that we are in a sea of people, each of whom has a relationship with pain. And let's therefore remind ourselves to recognize that pain, setbacks, physical, non-physical setbacks we've experienced, are a driver in people's lives. And some folks who are a part of your work or of your life outside of work are in so much pain and so wounded by that pain that they wound other people around them. Wounded people tend to wound other people. This is no surprise to you. You've seen this. But when, when there is a behavior that comes your way or a response or a reaction that comes your way from a person, for example, with whom you work, that is just difficult and destructive and out of line... It will serve you and I very well to remind ourselves that it is likely because that person is in pain. And I'm not going to suggest that that somehow justifies or makes okay their response or their reaction to life around them, but it is good to know that it's there. Folks don't often go around and say, I'm on a level 10 pain today, therefore here's how I'm going to react. <laughs> they just live that way. Maybe the pain is protracted and chronic. Maybe they were raised by wolves. <laughs> Maybe they've got the high-pitched screeching sound of distant memories yelling at them and causing them to act out in ways that are unpleasant and hurtful to people around them. But it's, it's good for us to remember that they actually have some sort of pain. That's where this is coming from. Now, we're not going to get all Dr. Phil on people and always ask people, wow, you acted like such an idiot. What kind of pain are you in here? <laughs> but it's nice to know that that is likely what is actually going on. Most of the time, a person is not just being an ass. Most of the time, they're reacting in a maladaptive way to the pain that they're carrying around with them. And they've been doing it for a while, and they don't even realize that that is what they're actually doing. Well, what does this do for me? Well, it can help me have a little bit more empathy, a little bit more compassion. It can put what they're doing in a context. Here's another way of thinking about it. Put that difficult behavior that person has in a context of fear. Maybe they're acting out of fear. Now, they don't come in and say, oh, I'm afraid, therefore I'm going to be mean and rude, or I'm not going to show up on time, or I'm going to lie, or I'm going to put all the blame of my poor performance back on you. They won't say that. They're just going to act out in fear. If you knew somebody was afraid, and that was one of the main reasons why they're acting this way, doesn't mean you would excuse their behavior. But it does mean you might have a little more compassion. Look around at the folks with whom you're working, perhaps the folks with whom you're living. And fear, as you know from one of our earlier podcasts, is its own kind of pain. So there we have it. Everyone around us is in some sort of relationship with pain. And sometimes their behavior with us and with others around them is a direct result of a maladaptive coping track. They're trying to deal with the pain of life. That's why they're acting this way. Again, no excuse, but it's nice to know why it's there.
But I also know, you've probably learned this as well, that it can be difficult to have compassion, even a little dash of empathy with somebody when their response or their reaction or their behavior causes me pain too. When their performance or lack thereof hurts us, it's difficult to have compassion. So take a moment right now if you have someone like that with whom you're working or someone who's behaving like this in your life. Take a deep breath. Think about that person as someone who may be simply acting out of fear or may be simply acting out of pain. It'll help a little bit. Maybe you've worked with this person long enough to be scratching your head. Maybe you're asking one of my favorite questions. What is your deal anyway? <laughs> maybe you don't ask it out loud. Maybe what you do is just ask it in your head. What is going on? And you squint your eyes and shake your head trying to figure out, why is that person acting that way? What is their deal? Well, it's likely that they're doing this unpleasant behavior in the workplace or at home to either cope with their own pain or they are doing this in anticipation of pain. They're trying to get away from it. They're trying to get around it or ahead of it. They're trying to avoid pain. Maybe they're aggressive so that they can avoid pain or maybe they're running away from the pain in some way. They do this behavior to avoid or cope with their own pain or in anticipation of pain. Here's an illustration of this. Most competent leaders that I've known and worked with and gotten to know over the years are quite good at managing conflict, at dealing with conflict and understanding what it is. There are many wonderful mental models out there about what conflict is and how to manage it and what our role is as a leader. One of my favorites came from Thomas and Kilman, where they describe that conflict is often a conflict between the need to get something done and the need to have a pleasant working relationship with someone. If you can lay that out on a, on a graphic in front of you and imagine an axis on the horizontal plane representing the need to get something done from the left side moving to the right, meaning that if it's on the left on the axis, if you put a point there that I really don't need to get that done, it doesn't matter to me a lot. But then as you move way over to the right side of that axis and put a dot over there, that would mean you need to get that done. It's got to get done. It's very important. It has to get done and probably has to get done now. Then put the vertical axis off to the left so that they intersect making a, a right angle. And at the bottom, of course, down at zero, that is the need to have a work a good, pleasant working relationship with somebody. They'll need to get along well and to enjoy working with a person. Clear down in the lower corner there, of course, that's zero. I don't need that at all. But then as it goes way up to the top of this, if you're drawing this on a page or a page in your mind, at the top, that's a very high need. So now you have these two axes and divide what you see there on the page into four segments. Thomas and Kilman describe the lower right-hand quadrant of that thing you just drew as a competition style. The upper right-hand quadrant is a style that they call cooperation. That means you really want to have a good working relationship with them. It's high on the vertical axis and very high on the horizontal axis. You want to cooperate. You really want to get this done, but you want to cooperate well with them. And then move across that axis to the left, or move across that graphic in your mind or on that paper you're drawing right now to the left. And the upper left-hand quadrant is what they call an accommodation style. The task doesn't matter all that much, but the relationship matters a lot. And then here's the point I wanted to make. In the lower left-hand corner of this quadrant graph is what's called avoidance. So they talk about four different styles, competition, cooperation, 
accommodation, and avoidance. <laughs> the avoidance style of conflict management, we have found, and this is not in their research or in their model, but we have found that that quadrant, that lower left-hand quadrant of conflict management styles, really has two different styles to it under avoidance. One of them is what I like to call an active avoidance style, and the other is a passive avoidance style. The active avoidance style is I'm going to avoid conflict at all costs because it's painful. It's difficult. I never see anything good that comes out of it. So I'm going to get way ahead of it, and I might either manipulate or plan or make everything work around me so well that the potential for conflict never comes up. Or I may be very aggressive. I may attack first in an attempt to avoid the pain of conflict. Or then the passive avoidance style is just to ignore it altogether. Put your head in the sand, look the other way, Scarlet O'Hare, not today, not today, <laughs> that kind of thing. People who are in pain or anticipate pain are trying to avoid the pain of conflict in this illustration. And so they might be very active trying to get way ahead of it so that they avoid it at all cost. Or they may just be very passive and ignore it completely, all because they're trying to avoid the pain of conflict. They've never been able to learn how to manage conflict and have a really productive and positive outcome. But this podcast is not about managing conflict. This is about our relationship with pain. I just wanted to use that as a way of illustrating that when we're in pain, we want to try to avoid sometimes that pain by running away from it or by being aggressive. And so when we're around folks who are in quite a bit of pain and we find ourselves scratching our head and we're unaware that they are in pain, maybe they are unaware that they are in pain. It's been the dull toothache of life for years or a metaphorical backache or arthritis of the soul for years. And they've developed a whole set of behaviors that leaves us scratching our head wondering, what is your deal? Well... They're probably doing this because they're trying to cope with or avoid pain. Again, no excuse, but it is sure nice to know. It'll probably help me have a little bit more compassion, just a little bit more patience, and maybe care just a little bit more as we're working with that person. And then I find myself, maybe you do too, scratching your head. What is your deal asking that question? And a while back, I began to notice that we do what we do because we think it works. We do what we do because it works for us, or we think it works for us. Even when everyone around us is saying, that's a dumb thing to do, why are you doing that? Or that, that doesn't work, or that's counterproductive. And maybe they give us that feedback directly, maybe not. Maybe we say to ourselves, well, I think I'll stop that, but I keep coming back to it. Why do I do that? Well, I do it because I think it works for me. And maybe it does. Maybe it numbs the pain of the moment. Maybe it's enough to give me another couple of days of relief or a couple of minutes, perhaps, of relief from that pain. This is one of the fundamental leadership principles. People do what they do because they think it works. Now, mature folks look at what we do and we look down the road and we think, I can see that this thing I'm doing, this set of behaviors, these things that I'm believing to be true, these structures I've built in my life, mental and otherwise, they're not going to work for me down the road the way they did last year. So before they fall apart, before they burst into flame, I'm going to change them. We get a bit proactive. That's maturity. I'm going to stop doing this before it stops working for me because it just doesn't work anymore. We get curious enough and humble enough to change what we're doing and our patterns of behavior and patterns of thinking 
before they fall apart. But most folks are not like that. Most of us experience pain. Then we take a maladaptive, a coping approach to that pain, do something to make the pain go away, to numb the pain for now, and it worked. So then we do that again and do that again. And then when we finally realize this thing I'm doing isn't working for me anymore, <laughs> what do we do? <laughs> oh, we double down because it worked yesterday. So I'm just going to do it louder today or harder today or faster today. I'm just going to keep doing it. Maybe it kind of works again, reinforcing the idea that that thing isn't working. But if I just keep doing it, it'll keep working. And we do it and do it and do it louder, faster, stronger, harder, meaner, whatever. And it takes a little bit of the pain away, but a little bit less every time. And then we get to a place where it just doesn't work for us anymore. We do what we do because it works for us or we think it works for us. This is true of all of our behaviors, by the way. But it's especially true of behaviors that flow from maladaptive coping habits that we've got in place that make us feel a little bit better now, but a little bit worse later. Oh, you get all this stuff. I'm just giving you words to describe what you probably already know. So if you've got someone around you now who's acting in a way that's very frustrating to you and maybe even hurtful to you and maybe even causing pain to you, remember, they're probably in pain. That's probably where this is coming from. They have learned this a while ago and it's worked for them for a while. That's why they keep doing it. So what can I actually do with this if I've got a person like that in my life? Here's five straightforward ideas. Number one, check yourself. When you're working with someone or living with someone who's acting out and creating pain in you and in others around them because they are in pain, check yourself first. Check to see if you are reflexively wounding them back in their own pain. If they slap you verbally, do you slap them back? If they're late and cause your work to increase, do you do things to cause their work to increase? So number one, check yourself. Start with yourself first because remember, you've got control over your own behavior and you're responsible for your own behavior, not someone else's. Here's the second idea. Remind yourself that there's a relationship with pain that's showing up here. Remind yourself that they may be in pain. You may never know what it is. It may not be your place to even ask them what is going on with the pain relationship that they've got. But remind yourself, it is highly likely that they are actually in pain, maybe a momentary pain or a lifelong pain, a pain they've not spoken about and may never speak about. And that is what's prompting their behavior right now. That's not going to excuse their behavior. And I'm not suggesting that you do. Oh, they're there. They're in pain. They were raised by wolves. It's okay for them to be this kind of horrible ogre of a human being to be around. They're there and walk away. I'm not suggesting that at all. But it is wise to realize that the person has a relationship with pain that's likely showing up right here. Here's the third thing I suggest you do. I suggest you communicate directly with that person about his or her behavior. Don't go all Dr. Phil. Don't dive inside. Don't try to be a therapist and give them advice they're not even asking for. None of that. But say to them, hey, that behavior, that doesn't work for me. Do it in a respectful way. Only talk about the behavior. When you did this, that didn't work for me. I need you to stop doing that. And be careful. Do not triangulate. Wow, it is so tempting when somebody is just being a jerk around you or they're being, or acting out in pain or they're being rude or difficult in some way that you suspect is coming from pain on their own side. It's very easy to trundle off over to someone else and talk about them instead of talking to them. Don't triangulate. Triangulation is the king 
of maladaptive coping mechanisms. You're in a little bit of pain because of their behavior, and so you want to walk over and tranquilize your pain by talking to somebody else, by gossiping about that person. That's really all that is. And you do feel a little bit better. But, oh, we've talked at length about that. It's a, quite a destructive behavior. So talk directly to that person and tell them, hey, you know that behavior right there? It doesn't work for me. I need to have you stop that and do this instead. That leads to the fourth thing. And in that same conversation, you're going to create new behavior expectations. I don't want you to do that with me anymore. I don't want you to do that with our team anymore. Instead, do this. Don't do that. Do this. Don't do that. Do this. It's possible, even likely, that this person's behavior is a habit. And as you know, habits are really powerful, entrenched ways that our brain likes to function because it's so easy. It takes almost no glucose to power a habit in our brain. We've talked a lot about that in the past. And so with all adults, we don't just stop habits, just cold turkey. We replace them with habits that work better. So we're going to say to this person, here's what I expect now. I don't want you to do that. I want this behavior instead. This behavior works better, not that one. Then, as you know, all new norms, that's what this is when you're setting up an expectation. It's a norm. You normally used to function this way. Now I want you to normally begin functioning this way with us as a team or with me as a coworker or as a friend or in the family. I want you to now function this way. Is that going to work for you? Can you do that? Well, I don't know. I don't know. I'll give it a try. Okay. Well then, Put a second norm with it. All norms come in pairs. I need to have you do this. That's normal. Here's the other one. If you don't, then I'm going to do this. And it's not punitive. It's not like if you're not kind in a meeting, I'm going to pour coffee on your lap. <laughs> no, it's not something stupid or punitive. It is simply, I'm going to do this behavior if you do that behavior. Just so you know, if this continues, I'm going to change my behavior to you just like this and you're going to see it. Subtle, simple, open, and direct. Then you may want to go one more step, which is if it continues even with the reinforcing norm, that's the one, if you don't, I'll do this. That's called a reinforcing norm. Then you're probably going to want to change the structure of your relationship. Because it's highly likely that the structure of your relationship, which is who's responsible for what, who gets to do this, who has to do that, how do we think about the relationship, when do we spend time together, what do we talk about, kind of the structure of the relationship. There's a lot more that could be talked about in that regard, but you get it. You get the idea. Structure is really how human beings organize the world around them in part or in large part. Structure lives because it has almost no resistance or what's the word? Friction. That's the word I'm looking for. It has almost no friction in it. That's why it continues to work. It's easy to go this route. And in software development and in marketing, we talk about friction a lot, that you don't want to put extra steps between me and the thing you want me to do. For example, Amazon makes it incredibly easy and almost frictionless for me to shop for something, to buy something, and to have it delivered into my hands, and to pay for it in the entire process, and to return it if it's wrong. There's almost no friction. This is the heart and core of why Amazon works so incredibly well for us. There's almost no friction. Think of this simple example. If I wanted to get something for high country backpacking and I needed to get it and I wanted to go to REI to get it, uh, the friction between me and getting that at REI is very intense. I have to find time when I'm going to get in my car and drive to REI when it's open, probably have to wear a mask when I go in there and look around and find what I want and then try it on in the store and then think, is this what I want? Is this really what I want? Is this what I want? Okay, all right. Okay, I'll buy it. Walk through the store, stand in line, pull out my debit card, pay for the thing, take it home, 
throw away the box that it came in and then start to use it. And then what if I don't like it? I got to reverse that entire process. The friction is, is insurmountable. I have to really, really want that thing if I'm going to buy it from REI in the store. You have done exactly what I've done. You found that new pair of hiking boots or that new camp stove that weighs nine ounces. Oh, you found it. And then you went to Amazon to see if it was sold there. And if it wasn't, you bought one like it because there was no friction between you and getting that thing at Amazon. That Amazon structure is what's made Amazon so incredibly powerful. There's almost no friction between what I want and what I get. It is so smooth. So think about that now, back to this relationship with this person who is in pain. There's a structure around you and that person, how you have organized your relationship with that person and their relationship with the rest of the team, for example. And if you want that structure to change, it has to be in a way that there's less friction, not more. That there's less hurdles, not more, if you want that to change. So now on this fourth point, I'm suggesting to you, create new behavior expectations and new structure in the relationship. If that person doesn't respond quickly, you're going to rearrange the structure of that relationship so that it is easier to be around that person and to work with that person or easier for you to accomplish what you and your team need to accomplish than it was before. Give that quite a bit of thought. This is sometimes why people lose their jobs because someone said, we got to change the structure of this team. You can't be on this team anymore. <laughs> you are causing way too much friction in this team. So we're going to take you out of the team and the friction goes away and everyone sighs a great big sigh of relief. Ah, why? Because that person was unwilling to change how they behave within that team with the structure the way it was. So they had to step out of the structure and we restructured the team. Ah, maybe I'm getting too technical or esoteric for you there, but that really flows from the fourth point. Since you're not going to rewind this podcast and listen to all these points so far, let me say them again for you. Number one, what am I going to do now? What am I going to do with a person who's acting out because they're in pain, who's a part of my team or maybe part of my friendship circle or something like that? Number one, check yourself. Check yourself before you wreck yourself because <laughs> don't make it worse by your own response to that person's behavior. You can create a completely new direction. Don't don't just react to that person. Create a new way of interacting with that person. Number two, remind yourself it's likely that they're in pain. Don't get all Dr. Phil and deep dive and try to figure out what is the pain? Were your diapers too tight as a child? <laughs> That's probably not going to do you any good. If they tell you, listen compassionately, but don't go looking for it. Just know that this is likely a response to pain on their part. Number three, tell that person your behavior doesn't work for me. Don't talk about the person. Talk to the person. Number four, create a new behavior expectation and then a follow-up norm with that. If you don't do that behavior, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to do this. And that follow-up behavior is going to be to change the structure of our relationship because this doesn't work for me. So I'm going to do this differently, which will change the structure of our relationship. And it can be a little change in structure or a massive change in structure. And then here's the fifth one. Reinforce, follow through, reinforce the new behavior. When the person does that new behavior, reinforce it. Hey, I saw that. That worked great. Thank you. That works great for me. Okay, there we have it. We covered a lot of time. I meandered back and forth as I always do in these podcasts, and I didn't even have any bourbon. It's just coffee that I'm drinking here. Let me take another shot of this caffeine. So good. Mm -mm -mm. I like it. I'm actually recording this at about 
5.30, maybe 6. Let me look at the clock. Uh, yeah, it's almost six o'clock at night when I'm recording this, and yes, I'm pounding coffee. I could drink a quad espresso and fall asleep. I don't know what it is. Caffeine doesn't do to me what it does to other people. At least not yet. Maybe when I get older. <laughs> he said when I got older. I'm already 64. My goodness. Uh, maybe it would have happened by now, but caffeine doesn't do that to me. Okay, back on track. There. Sorry for the distraction. Maybe we'll edit that out. Or not. There's a lot of things I hope get edited out of these podcasts that stay in when I listen to them afterwards. Oh, well, okay. I guess we left that part in. <laughs> this might be one. Let's wrap this all up as we talk about other people's pain. Just boil it down to this. All of us have a relationship with pain. When you have somebody around you who is acting out, out of their relationship with pain, and they're hurting you or hurting other people around them, just don't be an ass back. Don't complicate the pain by being more a painful of a person back. Come on. Be kind. Understand they're probably acting out of pain. It's not an excuse. Don't excuse it. Don't allow it to continue. They're in pain. Don't make it worse by your own response. And in fact, it's as though you're saying, oh, I see you in a non-judgmental way. I see you in a non-judgmental way. It's a really beautiful and wonderful way of actually interacting with people. And here's a reminder as we kind of wrap up our time here. When you and I are reacting out of pain, especially pain that has a non-physical component to it, physical in its origin that becomes non-physical in its experience, or the other way around, non-physical in its origin that becomes physical in its manifestation or in its experience or both. Remember that it is likely having something to do with how we are experiencing threat or interpreting something as a threat around us. We've talked about this in previous podcasts. And remember the SCARF acronym that we've borrowed. The idea here is that it's likely I'm feeling this pain because I feel that my status is being threatened or my certainty is being threatened, or my autonomy, or my relationships, or a sense of fairness and justice. That's SCARF, S-C-A-R-F. And so often when people are acting out in pain in the workplace or outside of the workplace, it's the S that they're reacting to first, status. Now remember what status is? It's not I'm above you or below you, it's I see you in a non-judgmental way. Oh, there you are. I see you. See you in all of your glory. <laughs> That's what I'm recommending that you do, at least as a great place to start when you are surrounded with or engaged with somebody who is in pain. Go ahead and look at them. See them. It's likely that they feel that nobody gets it. See that person for who they actually are, not excuse their behavior but recognize that as a valuable person with whom you work. Now, you may not be able to continue to be around them if they act out in pain, but it's likely that you may come to that conclusion too quickly if you don't follow some of these steps that we have learned over the years. Check yourself before you wreck yourself. <laughs> don't be an ass. Remember, they're probably acting out of pain. Tell them, hey, that behavior doesn't work for me. Don't talk about them. Talk to them. Create new expectations. If they don't follow through on the new expectations, tell them we're going to change the structure of this relationship and then reinforce that behavior. There you go. Well, I'm going to finish this. Here it is. I set it down a minute ago over here, this legend cigar. And I think I probably enjoyed about an inch and a half of this while talking with you today and finished my coffee. There it is. I can see the bottom of this coffee cup right now. 
and I'm going to relight this cigar. Enjoy the rest of it. I'm going to put my feet up. It's storming outside as I record this. It is a, it's one of those days in the Pacific Northwest where the rain comes down in sheets and at an angle. It fills in your ears when you go outside. So I'm going to open up a window and listen to the rain coming down. It's beautiful. Oh, wish you were here. There we go. Your relationship with pain, part five. Next week, we're going to conclude this series on your relationship with pain with part six. This is my favorite one of all of these six episodes. This is the one called Pain and Purpose. I haven't quite finished it yet. I've got the outline. I've got the basic thoughts. I know basically what I want to say. I just don't know how to say it yet. (laughs) We'll see. We'll see if I succeed on this one. Ah, and I will not be having a bourbon with the next one. I'm going to have, I'm going to have a little bit of a surprise to drink with this next one. Pain and Purpose. That's the one coming up next week. Have a great week. I look forward to visiting with you in this weird format where I'm just imagining you're here and imagining you're talking back and forth with me. And maybe you are even as you listen to this. All right, here we go. Going to relight this, and I'm going to enjoy this cigar and listen to the rain. Have a great day. Still good. Mm Mm-hmm. Still good. And I'm sure you've heard about it by now, but you may want to check out our YouTube channel that has this kind of information, lots of helpful tips for folks who are in leadership, management, supervisory positions, or if you're an influencer of people daring folks to do great things. Check us out on YouTube. It's the Hilt, H-I-L-T, Academy, High Impact Leadership Training Academy on YouTube. Some great stuff. Join us over there. Subscribe when you get there, and that'll let us know you like that stuff. Anyway, have a great day. Thanks for joining me in today's School of Leadership. This podcast is part of the Archimedes Experiment, leveraged wisdom from the world's most effective leaders. If you're interested in more, go to my website, dhicks.com. Remember, my first name has only one E. Well, you'll find more short and helpful podcast books and blog posts. If this was helpful, maybe even share it with some of your friends. Have a great day.